Kiva and welcome to Inside Parliament, a weekly catch-up where we discuss all of the political stories we've been covering for One News this week. We're coming to you from the legendary Beehive studio. I'm Mikey Sherman. I'm Benedict Collins. And it's just us two here today, Benedict. Uh, our illustrious leader, uh, Jessica Much Mackay, has only just returned from her trip to China with the Prime Minister. Yeah, her whirlwind uh, day her up whirlwind in day. Beijing. <laughs> yeah, so you're stuck with us today, guys. Benedict hmm. and I keeping the seats cosy today. Yeah, anyway, should we have a look at our... Um our highs, our, our um, peaks of the week. Yes, our peaks of the week, peaks of the week for me, um, was probably a story that I covered earlier this week, uh, which was St John Ambulance uh, calling for full funding from the government. At the moment, um, St John is funded to the tune of around 72% uh, from the government. The rest, around $65 million a year, uh, they have to fundraise. And so they've just gotten the buckets out on the streets uh, rattling this week. Another funny thing that I noticed was that they even have FPOS uh, and you know mm. you know, situations dire when you've got the old FPOS out on the street looking for some donations. Uh, if you don't have the coins you can't get away, they have FPOS. Um, and so the interesting thing for me in that story um, was hearing uh, the health minister, um, you know we sort of put it to him, uh, do you think that they deserve and that they should be uh, fully funded by the government? The health minister parroting his answer basically saying there were many, many demands on the health dollar and on, honestly go with watch my story guys he just kept repeating it um, and then the interesting thing which is my peak was that you had uh, Deputy Prime Minister Winston Peters come in and basically back them all the way and he yeah. said you know do these guys deserve a fair go uh, you bet your bottom dollar they do you bet your bottom dollar yeah. on the, on the you know, fundraising I've, streets they do. I kind of heard him answer that and at first I thought he said that this was the government's position but it was he meant New Zealand first didn't he? Is he that right? New Zealand first yeah. and they're the ones um, yeah. who who are absolutely backing St John on this. And that is going to be interesting, mm. you know, around the Cabinet table when they're discussing whether or not they need to step up. And, and the other interesting thing was Winston Peters said there needs to be immediacy around, you know, a decision. So it's not as though, you know, they're sort of backing them without any sort of, you know, um, uh, immediate decision. He, he, New Zealand First are basically saying we need to make a call on this, you know, swiftly. Whereas I think uh, St John have said that the the um, the response that they've gotten from the health minister is that they're not willing to look at it until 2021, right. which is next term, um, and they say they can't wait that long. So it'll be interesting to watch how that pans out. Yeah. Now, what was your peak this week, Benedict? Well, my, my peak for the week, um, big pat on the back for one of our um, uh, colleagues in the in the press gallery, uh, Henry Cook from Stuff. He did a really good story this week, um, following the, uh, the story that we've been looking at on the emotional junior staffer, um, so-called, from the National Party, who uh, deleted that petition that they had up on their website about the United Nations uh, migration compact following the um, Christchurch terror attack. Of course, the, the terrorist there had, here's your United Nations global uh, compact written on his gun. <coughs> Looks like that afternoon, a um, staff member, now, I don't know if you should call him the emotional junior staffer, as Simon Bridges did, um, maybe sensible senior staffer would be how I'd describe this person, um, Look, but in the wake of the attack, felt was no longer appropriate and, and pulled the petition um, uh, off the website. Of course, as we saw this play out, um, National, uh, their media team originally told the media that the petition had been down for weeks and they were absolutely wrong to suggest it had been taken down. Um, quite angrily, 
you know, disputing the media, uh, asking questions about this. Of course, Simon Bridges had to front up once it became clear that it had been taken down and sort of say, hey, look, this was a big mistake. But what Henry Cook's done, he's had a um, uh, got some good sources here, and apparently now um, the so-called emotional junior staffer, he's been, uh, basically looks like he may have lost his job here, he's been stood down, and that's because he went um, to the uh, um, National Party, to the um, Chief of Staff, and said, look... I think we're lying to the media here because apparently he had let the media team know that he was going to, or he wanted to delete it. Uh, Henry's reporting says that um, after he let the media team know this, he never heard back, so he just made the decision to delete it. Uh, you know, and some people would say that's a pretty sensible um, decision that he made there. Uh, now it accuses, it appears he's been accused of serious misconduct. Look, I've been speaking to a few MPs and. Um, and I'd also dealt with this staff member, always professional, always, you know, helpful. Um, and MPs I've spoken to, you know, described him sort of similarly um, and said, you know, he was, he was passionate about working at Parliament, passionate about politics and passionate about the National Party. And people are pretty, uh, you know, pretty um, unhappy, I think, with the way he's been treated here by the National Party. And we'd sort of, um, you know, our office had sort of uh, been rattling the cages as well on this issue, hadn't we, Benedict? And uh, you could say there were a few half-truths or, or sort of uh, uh, answers to specifics yeah. uh, as opposed to sort of um, being more forthcoming um, with with the details on this from the National Party's um, own office. Yeah, yeah, and I think also, you know, um, parliamentary services as well, perhaps, you know, uh, happy to fudge things along here. Um, uh, yeah, so it's going to be interesting to sort of see this, how this story plays out. But yeah, a, a lot of people, I think, pretty unhappy um, with, with how this staff member has been treated. Look, Go on, shoot on to my um, pit for the week now, just nice and quickly. My pit for the week um, would be still the, the ongoing lack of detail from the government about the cannabis referendum that we're having at the next election. Uh, Paula Bennett, Nationals Drugs Are, doing her best once again in Parliament, trying to get some details out of the Prime Minister. What's the question going to look like? What you know? What sort of regulations we're going to have in place here? Um, uh, Paula Bennett does this repeatedly in Parliament yeah. and, and sort of just getting nothing from the Prime Minister. Uh, not long ago, I think it was last month, maybe the month before, um, I heard a guy, Eric Costin from Health Canada, came to New Zealand as part of a drug foundation and Otago Uni conference saying, hey, look, what the government has to do is start educating the public around what what it's going to look like, what it's going to mean, um, and st- also start collecting data, as much data as it possibly can if it wants to bring in a, um, uh, you know, a, a referendum here. So far, we've seen nothing from the government. And I've been enjoying Paula Bennett's consistency in the House on asking those questions. Yep. Right? It's been, you know, sort of telling, just, you know, sort of repeatedly asking, when are we going to hear from, yep. uh, you know, when, when are we going to get any sort of details around the question, you know, just simple things around hmm. timeframes in the Prime Minister are just not willing to sort of lock themselves into anything um, and that's just one of you know a number of big uh, issues that the government have um, you know including the tax reforms and so on that they've got to sort of uh, you know, a, a year and or just over that year and to, a half, to, yeah, yeah. To, to sort of push through, and mm. you kind of wonder, oh gosh, will we'll be interesting to see, you know, how they go with such a such a full plate. Yeah. Um, my pit 
my pit this week. Uh, yesterday is, is yesterday. I went to the um, first public hearing of uh, Operation Burnham Inquiry, um, obviously into the 2010 SAS raid um, on a village in Afghanistan, uh, which allegedly uh, killed six civilians and injured over a dozen more. Um, the pit is is that there are still, it seems, a number of questions around funding. Uh, we heard from the uh, lawyer for the villages, Deborah Manning, um, asking um, a, a around um, a, a, a meeting uh, with the heads of the inquiry because she just can't get the funding um, to uh, be able to conduct the interviews in Afghanistan uh, and she's saying that basically it could be hugely detrimental um, to to the success or otherwise of the inquiry because they just cannot um, get the interviews done at the moment with those in the village um, and that's huge and um, so there's that question there was also protesters outside the the hearing um, saying that, you know, they lack confidence in the hearing because there are only going to be three public hearings as opposed to the majority of this inquiry is actually going to be held in secret for reasons that you can also understand. It's it's, it's easy to see it from both um, sides of the coin, if you like, because, you know, you are dealing with um, classified information, sensitive witnesses and so on. But, you know, uh, there's still so many questions around even the process uh, uh, of, of the inquiry um, that it just raises questions as to whether, uh, you know, even at the end of it, there will be public confidence in it. And there yeah. needs to be well, on a your, big issue like that. Yeah, is your feeling that things are kind of stacked against uh, the Deborah Manning side of this, you know, and, and heavily weighted in favour of the Defence Force in terms of funding and in this case? That's certainly what um, the the calls have been from um, the likes of Deborah Manning yeah. uh, in, in the hearings, you know, not only um, the one yesterday, but also the the sort of the hearing that I attended uh, you know, a while back, uh, which was looking at just the process and how they'd, they'd sort of go about it. And at that point, um, you know, we spoke about it on this podcast a little bit where we, she spoke about, you know, just the the, the sort of sluggishness from the Defence Forces side and getting all of the documents to um, the lawyers for the villages and so on. Um, so, yeah, it, that's why I say, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this pans out and whether or not, you know, we can have confidence, the public can have confidence, mm. and, and Deborah Manning and, and so on, who are representing those villages, can have confidence in this. Uh, now... Yeah. Let's move on to our yep. first story. It's yours, Benedict. Hey, so let's have a look at this uh, huge week in Parliament this week with the gun law changes. Um, let's have a look at this track from last night. Gun City's owner at Parliament to oppose gun law changes. I don't like your style. I don't like your style. And creating a circus. You know, the really neat thing is which one of us, after this event, doesn't have a warm fuzzy when we see a hijab and playing the victim. That's how we beat this mad Australian. When we get together and not divide. When you stop lynching me as a gun owner. Mr Tipple also had this controversial warning for MPs. You will be helping him win. Also telling MPs he's sold dozens of semi-automatic weapons following the Christchurch attack. The murderer wanted his actions to restrict all kinds of firearms being owned by law-abiding citizens. The best thing to do would have been to stop selling those guns while the law was being sorted. Other submitters today back in the ban. I'm here basically to represent some of those people who are not able to be here today because they are dead. They are dead because they have been killed uh, using the kind of weapon that this legislation is trying to take out of circulation. 
Whatever reasons might be brought to bear for not supporting this legislation can never outweigh the 50 reasons we carry with us today. Meanwhile, many Kiwis have signed a petition urging the government to consult properly. Nearly 16,000 people have said they would like to be heard by Parliament on the gun laws. The way the government has chosen to force this through on such a short time frame means that cannot happen. Some submitters today sharing those concerns about the rushed process. Our concern is around the speed of this, that there may be other unintended consequences. The lack of opportunity for public input and debate means key stakeholders are unable to provide legitimate perspectives and information that may be relevant to the bill. The whirlwind public submission period, now all over. So it's been a, a huge week here at Parliament with the with the gun law changes. Um, yesterday, uh, you know, uh, quite a few public submissions uh, coming in, and, and we sort of focused it on the you know the most uh, colourful. Emotion- yeah, colourful. That's great. Tipple, Tipple yeah. was quite colourful. Wasn't yeah, he, he was. Um, and but there were you know lots of other submissions as well. Uh, sort of looking in at the a lot of people raising concerns about the haste with. The, which this has been pushed through Parliament. Um, and there's quite a cool little um, thing from Rural Women, um, New Zealand, yesterday. They came out and they said, hey, if you think you need a, um, a semi-automatic weapon, maybe you need to learn how to shoot, which I, which I quite <laughs> liked as, as well. Um, but of one. course, yeah, like... Um, this is going to be rushed through 14,000 written submissions as well as the one day of public submissions yesterday that the select committee is going to have to try and trawl through. Um, and yeah, and by the end of next week, it's all going to be passed through Parliament. And interesting to note, what I found really interesting, and it was sort of there um, just at the end of your track there, was the um, Law Society uh, sort of raising concerns there about um, the haste of it all mm. and you know whether or not um, it uh, blocks... Um, um, those stakeholders who, you know, have sort of legitimate input in this issue, it blocks them from being able to do that. And I thought, you know, just from the Law Society's perspective, it was interesting to hear them sort of come out and support that perspective that it is being too rushed, it is being rushed. Um, and, and obviously we also saw that, you know, 16,000 people supporting the petition um, that David Seymour sort of, you know, was propping up there um, saying that they us, are also more, concerned. Yeah, give us, give more, us more time. time. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Hey, um, this is a story obviously that is looked at um, over many, many years. Let's have a look at this historical story where semi-automatic um, gun laws were looked at back in 1990. There are more than 60,000 semi-automatic military-style guns in New Zealand. Who owns them and what they're used for is now the worry. And if you have one weapon and one lunatic, and they come together you have got a recipe for absolute disaster. John Banks says part of the answer is a closer and harder look at those applying for a gun licence. It's going to be much tougher to get a firearms licence in the future than it has been in the past. More than 340,000 people hold gun licences. Responsible shooters are worried they'll be made to pay for one man's actions in Aramoana. An incident like this has happened and there's immediate outcry on toughening up laws and it's the responsible people who suffer, not the criminal. If we have to take tough decisions, we will. If it upsets some people, we'll upset them. But the Rifle Association agrees that there's probably no need for the semi-automatic lookalikes. Most of our members cannot see the use for it except for collectors, bona fide collectors. Certainly in hunting we've got 
no need for one. That's a view shared by the police commissioner. I believe that any weapon that is designed for killing human beings, a military type weapon, uh, doesn't really have a place uh, among the normal firearm buffs in New Zealand. The cost of semi-automatics in terms of lives has already been high. Despite the political promise to look at restricting them, the power of the gun lobby may stop an outright ban. As it turned out, they actually never got those um, semi-automatic gun law um, ban over the line back in 1990. And interesting this week to see John Banks in the media, you know, saying how it's it's one of his his biggest regrets and that he simply couldn't sort of get his rural National Party colleagues over the line back back then, you know, and he feels it was a really missed opportunity. Maybe this attack could have been prevented. Yeah, and some interesting sort of correlations from back then to today. Some some still, you know, very much similar. You know, you sort of got the firearms uh, community sort of saying, we feel like we're being targeted for the actions of one man. Yep, yep. Um, it's not fair, you know, and that we're responsible. Those are the same and, sort of sentiments quite, we're seeing you now. You can almost understand that though, right? If you are a responsible gun user and you're having, you know, and they were talking about it yesterday, people use these weapons for sport and stuff like that, you know, they are going to get caught up in this in this gun ban. And again, coming back to the fact that it is happening so quickly and they're not even having mm. that much time to sort of grapple or come to terms with it yeah. or even understand what parts of this legislation covers off, you know, what areas of firearms, et cetera, et cetera. But, I mean, John Banks did have, I mean, there was that, I thought, great soundbite in there. When you, you know, he's dead right, when you put a lunatic together with these type of weapons, they can just cause catastrophes like, we, like we've repeatedly seen. Yeah. But there, hey, there are another couple of um, pretty interesting things that happened at Parliament this week. Um, I think a lot of people were having a pretty good chuckle. Um, David Seymour, who was the uh, the ACT Party leader, who was promising um, to oppose this uh, um, legislation um, going through in the truncated process, and um, was so busy telling us how he was going to oppose it, he forgot to walk into Parliament on time, and they uh, managed to get it through 119 to zero with um, no opposition. That was uh, yeah, yeah, some quick thinking on the part of Chris Hipkins. Yeah, he, uh, leader, he can definitely speed read, can't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 But um, he, uh, David Seymour sort of uh, come back saying <laughs> that he won't be making that mistake again uh, because very much egg on the face there. Yeah, on that one. Hey, um, also there was that uh, select committee this week, hey, where the um, police came in with all the. That was arms. that was hugely fascinating, and it was in one sense it was fascinating, you know, as a sort of um, you know spectator, if you like, sort of just seeing those sort of you know different firearms, you know, up close and personal, and sort of seeing the um, the officers sort of you know changing, and seeing how, how quickly, quickly yeah. you can change the magazines and how easy you can actually upgrade just by a simple sellotape, um, sellotaping of the magazines together. You could how quickly it can be done. Um, but then I was thinking also. You know that the sort of the fear or, or, or the sort of horror that that might have what that might have been like for those family members of those who were killed if they were watching the news or something and if they sort of saw mm. you know the firearms like that I just thought oh on, on one side it was fascinating on the other side you had to sort of think gosh I hope you know no one sort of got you know you know sort of felt the, the the raw emotion of seeing those types of guns that were used to, you know, s you know, kill their whānau, and yeah. that that would have been that would have been hard. So, um, yeah, interesting interesting stuff around this whole whole firearms debate yeah. here at Parliament this week. And of course, uh, um, we've we've got another sort of related track to watch now. Um, uh, Mikey, you were down in Christchurch um, with the Australian uh, politicians who came over. Let's have a look at this track. <laughs> A show of unity from across the Tasman, laying flowers at the El Nord Mosque this morning. Hi, sir. Nice to see you. 
to have the Australian Prime Minister, Governor-General and Leader of the Opposition represented in New Zealand in this way is unprecedented. While this didn't happen on our own shores, it certainly felt like it did. But more than that is the fact the murder accused is an Australian citizen, a burden to Fazal Alam says Australia need to own. The terror came from Australia, so they have lots of responsibilities about that. Tafazil was praying in the Linwood Mosque when the second attack occurred. They could come here and they could at least um, show their respect and they, they can take their responsibilities. Is there a sense of guilt, a sense of responsibility in some way, given that the attacker is an Australian citizen? The crime was perpetrated by an extremist terrorist and extremist terrorists have no nationality. Dignitaries from around 60 countries were represented at today's memorial service, closing political and cultural divides. Despite such a significant event today, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern still made time to meet with Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison, where he acknowledged the impact the tragedy has also had on his country. The bilateral meeting discussed coordinated action on social media reforms and as for extradition of the murder accused. No, there's no discussion of that. That's an official conversation left for another day. So um, this was obviously a story that we put to air uh, this time last week, so last Friday at the National uh, Memorial Day um, down in Christchurch. I was down there um, and we managed to be the only New Zealand media uh, in the Australian Prime Minister's stand-up. Uh, there was no sort of advisory about it. Um, we were not expecting it to happen. Uh, we were just basically hanging around and we noticed that the Australian media that was um, accompanying um, their Prime Minister here were preparing to do a stand-up with him, so we thought, oh, this is a good yeah, opportunity. Yeah. We're going to get in there. <laughs> yep, Thank you yep. very much. G'day, mate. So we jump in, <laughs> so we jump in there, uh, and of course, you know, um, there was one question that you know I just felt that we needed yeah. to ask him, yeah. and and it's it's quite, and you know, if we're talking about you know inside Parliament, this podcast talking about this sort of behind the scenes and that, mm. then I have to say that you know. The, <sighs> having to ask, you know, that sort of a question on that day uh, in that way, you know, it's a bit awkward, it's a bit tricky uh, as a journalist because, mm. you know, it's, it's it's a big sort of, you know, thing for them to have to answer. Yeah. Um, did they feel, you know, sort of guilt? And, uh, and what did you make of answer? Well, I just thought that, you know, uh, there was a little bit of um, abdication of responsibility in that answer. So the, the, the question was whether, you know, uh, you know, they felt sort of any responsibility given um, that the uh, attacker is an Australian citizen because it was like the elephant in the room, basically, when we'd sort of interviewed the Prime Minister, um, our Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, and when we've sort of been watching the Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison's commentary around um, the attacks, you know, there was a lot of uh, uh, condolences and, and sort of a shared sort of, you know, distraught, but there was no sort of um, discussion around the fact that this guy is an Australian citizen. And he's 28 years old, you know, still young. He was, you know, only there sort of recently. He's only been travelling around in recent years. So 
It's not like he's, you know, an adult who's, you know, gone off and sort of created a life for himself somewhere else and has a family and you could say that, you know, his his thinking or, or whatever has changed. I think that the, the age thing has to come into it because, you know, this guy was nurtured and, 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 and stuff still at home in Australia, you know. And it's an awkward conversation to have, but I think it's important to raise these things and sort of just look at these things because then as a country do you have to have a conversation with yourself and as the Prime Minister do you need to lead that conversation and say, hey guys, you know, this 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 attacker, you know, is an Australian citizen. We need to have a con- uh, conversation as a country um, and talk about the fact that that's not okay and talk about the values that we need to have and, and so on and so forth. Mm. So it's just about, you know, there is um, importance in acknowledging it and I think that, you know, we hadn't heard about it, um, but to see, you know, the Prime Minister, the Governor-General, the Leader of the Opposition, those three guys, they don't just come over for sort of nothing, you know. That mm. is a sign of um, of the weight and, and the sort of role that Australia has in this, not only because we are close cousins from across the ditch, etc., but also because that guy, the attacker, um, is an Australian citizen. Yeah. And there's a role to to sort of play in that. So, you know... And, and I think maybe also like a shared sense of horror at what had happened. You a know, shared sense of horror. Close neighbours. Yeah, mm. but also the responsibility. Yeah. And it was important to hear that from, uh, you know, one of the um, Muslim community who was at the Linwood Mosque and he said it himself, you know, and this is coming from someone who'd experienced it firsthand, that there is a responsibility there on the Australian Prime Minister, that they want to hear um, them take responsibility on that and sort of, you know, um, and make a change, you know, and you can't... How can you make a change... If if you're not going to acknowledge one of the key factors, which is that this guy is, a, you know, a citizen of yours, you yeah. know, so it's all about that. Mm. So it's interesting to to put the question to him, to hear the answer, and the answer was obviously that you know terrorism has no nationality. Um, interesting, yeah. People will have to sort of judge that Make their own for themselves. Up on that, eh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've got a um a different story, non non Christchurch shooting related. Um, the uh, education minister is proposing some big a uh, big overhaul of the vocation educational um, training sector. Uh, have a look at this track. Trainee electricians getting showing the ropes. I'm third year now, and I'm um, yeah learning lots, lots and. Not having a yeah, student load and all that kind of stuff, so it's great. But there are fears proposed changes to trade apprenticeships will harm Sparky's starting out. We're actually heading for a bit of a perfect storm, so it's going to become very, very difficult to find a skilled worker, and therefore market forces will then apply. Supply goes down, uh, the cost will, will go up to, to employ an electrician. The industry's predicting the cost of hiring an electrician may jump by 65%. What we're seeing from ITOs a lot, quite a lot at the moment is a lot of scaremongering and a lot of making things up. I think these are accurate concerns to have. The government's merging the country's struggling politics into a single body. And this will take over the management of trade apprenticeships from industry training organisations or ITOs like master electricians. And that's what the SPAT is all about. There are some parts of the sector that are underperforming, so we're happy to help try and fix them. But to throw out all of industry training and then give all of the lion's share of the, the training budget to the underperforming entity, uh, we just think that's a recipe for a disaster. Unfortunately, ITOs are much more interested in patch protection at the moment than in doing what's best for New Zealand. The system that we have at the moment has failed to deliver enough skilled tradespeople to meet New Zealand's needs. Nationals urging the government to slow down and think again.
Polytechs have struggled, they've struggled in our hands, uh, they do need some attention and we're happy to collaborate on that, but throwing apprenticeships at Polytechnics is not the solution. This apprentice loving the job. The beer on a Friday is pretty good. That tastes probably, that's really the best part. Consultation on the proposal closes this Friday too. I have to be completely honest, two weeks ago I didn't know what an industry training organisation was. <laughs> now I feel like I'm quickly, I love the honesty. Get, I, I'm quickly getting upskilled in this area um, and, and what the, you know, the Minister's proposals are. I've done several stories on it in the last oh, know, 10 days. Um, now... It's interesting talking to these ITOs, industry training organisations. These are the guys who are sort of managing apprentices out in, on on work sites. You know, your electricians, your plumbers, your builders, um, uh, people, uh, and it's really, really wide. It's your hairdressers. It's your people who are you know helping with oh, rehabilitation. hairdressers. Yeah, people who are working with rehabilitation. We spoke um, did a story last week with a guy who's working with people recovering from brain injuries and stuff like that. Young guy starting out in the sector. Um, so the minister's basically planning this huge overhaul where you've got all these polytechs in New Zealand, some of whom are absolute financial basket cases, being kept on life support by the government uh, financially, uh, some really woeful performance, and some that are doing quite well. And then you've got these separate ITOs who, who manage the guys out in the, you know, guys and girls out working in the, um, you know, in the, in the field basically planning a big merger, setting up a big new institute of skills and technology. Um, interesting talking to these ITOs. One of the things they keep saying to me is, we cannot believe how short the consultation period has been. Um, these these changes have been rushed through. They had six weeks because of the Christchurch terror attacks. It got um, spread out to seven weeks. But they're saying, look, this, you know, this is, I'm not sure whether it'll be a quarter of a million young students this is going to affect definitely several, you know, uh, well over 100,000, even more, I think, probably close to a quarter of a million. There's six weeks. And they're turning around and saying, look, how critical Chris Hipkins was of Victoria University only holding a one-month consultation on changing its name. And now he's doing six weeks, later moving <coughs> to seven, to overhaul you know, the future of the education for hundreds of thousands of people. So it's an interesting you got to laugh time. because it seems as though there's this theme starting to emerge here with all of these quick consultations. Yeah. It, it, in the industry training organisations, what they're saying to me is, hey, it's, it's the politics that are the basket cases here. Why are you taking away what we're doing and, 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 and basically the politics are going to take over control of all the industry training um, and the oversight of it? They're saying, hey, look, you're giving all the power to the to the basket cases and you're taking us sort of more and more out of the picture. So they're very unhappy um, with, with what's going on here. And um, uh, uh, politics uh, will probably come back and sort of dispute that, and and then they might. And, and and I've sort of seen comments from the um, the president of the Tertiary Education Union, mm. and and he's saying that you know that they're happy to sort of see the amalgamation. Maybe it is because they are struggling and they need to sort of um, stop competing. Because that is, uh, and you sort of spoke to me about this before, but you sort of said that, that that's one of the biggest things is that you've got polytechs and ITOs competing, the, trying and, to essentially and cut each other's. Lunch. And um, unhealthy competition. That's what the cabinet paper sort of talks about. For yeah, funding yeah, yeah. and for student yeah. numbers. So th there are problems there. And even the National Party, um, you know, they they say to me, look, we know you've got to make changes. But they're a bit un they're unhappy with some of the changes that um, Chris Hipkins is looking at making. Not all of them, though. They said they could, you know, happily work with them, especially around the funding side of what's going on in the vocational training sector. But, yeah, they do have big concerns there. We also had another story on One News this week looking at um, a pretty successful um, Financially, Polytech uh, 
out of Nelson who are worried what's going to happen to all their funds and what's going to happen to their land. And Chris Hopkins telling us, he said, oh, no, no, we, we want to make sure that the money goes back into the um, into that regional community. Hmm. Mm, well, that'll be interesting. And uh, the best part of uh, the story, some might argue, was the uh, last uh, co- last comment from the young lad there, <laughs> uh, the young budding electrician, where he basically said the best thing about the job is Friday drinks. Yeah, and I, I do think it's fair to say it probably doesn't matter which profession you work in. <laughs> the best thing about any job is probably having a drink on Friday. Hmm. Anyway, hey, I think that's that's it's us. us yeah. hey, on it's that been, note. Yeah, it's been great to have you with us. This was Inside Parliament, our weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering on One News. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. It's available every Thursday or Friday evening on the One News Facebook page and you can check us out on your favourite podcasting app as well. Cheers, guys. Yeah.